excited about all that God is doing. Check, keep, keep an eye on all the things that's going on. But tonight, I'm going to title this message as part of our God's last day forecast. I'm going to title it, The Stirring. The Stirring, kind of part two from this morning. I believe it goes right along with what we heard and felt this morning and what we've just really just felt in the last few moments. It's that intensity, even the word uh, that came through uh, even just now. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to give you three passages. And we're going to look at those three passages very quickly. Uh, and, and I believe God's got a word in that. I, 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 God had given me a piece of this. This is how God works sometimes. He gave me the Sunday morning message in advance. Sunday night, I had a piece of it. It wasn't until this morning till I began to pray over this morning service that God said, that's how it all fits together. And uh, so I was very excited uh, that God had pieced this together tonight. And uh, so if you got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter 3. Put your finger there, 2 Peter 3, and I'll give you a moment. And then we're going to have uh, your next finger to be in Haggai chapter 1. In this, uh, Minor Prophets in the last 12 books of the Old Testament, you can find it there. It's a very short book, um, Haggai chapter 1, but we'll have time to get to that. But the stirring... We said this morning that God's last day forecast, while for the world it seems like six more weeks of winter, for the church it really is revival. That when he says you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be abandoned, you're going to be beaten, people are going to to want to kill you and hate you, at the same time the Holy Spirit is going to be coming over you to love people in a loveless world and give you power to speak that you know not of, that things that you couldn't think of, God's going to begin to give it to you and defend. uh, And it's going to lead to a testimony of how great God is, even in your uh, persecution, even in your trials, God's going to get the glory of a church that is uh, in revival in this last days. And I want to talk about uh, something this morning or this evening that the stirring. There is a stirring going on, and there's a stirring needing uh, to happen. And uh, we're going to talk about how we partner with God in this stirring of the Holy Spirit. And so, the last days stirring. Uh, Jesus came to a people who are really expecting the Messiah to come. He showed up in small-town rural Galilee to a devout group of Jews who were expecting the second coming of the Lord. That's who he was born to. Mary was expecting the second coming. Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were all expecting the second coming. They were eager. They were devout. And they had uh, repented and been baptized by the John the Baptist. And, and even John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he later on asks him in Matthew 11, he says, Are you the expected one? They were expecting something, uh, and they were expecting his soon coming. Now, fast forward 30 to 40 years, and the Apostle Peter, here we are in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter is now reminding his church that after Jesus has now ascended, and it's been a, a few decades, and a new generation has come on the scene, uh, the youth that were born there, they're now 30, 40, 50 years old, and so they, they're kind of a new church, Right? Uh, and so Peter, he writes this. He's about to die, no doubt. And he says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am, keywords, stirring up, New American Standard, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. I want to remind you to stir up something. I want to remind you to look at the Word of God and let it stir something up in you. And Peter's this guy. He's, he's overconfident. 
A lot of times he had to slow down and learn how to listen to Jesus. And he was going to write this letter, and he's emphasizing uh, a couple of things. And one is the knowledge of God. Do you really have stirred up in you? Do you really understand? Do you really remember the truth of God and live it out? And he's asking his church, who really is true believers in these last days? Who really is the true church when everybody seems to just be churchy and everybody seems to just kind of fall away and we're not quite sure who's a real believer or not? He's saying, who really is a true believer? Because at this day, even when Peter lived, they were scoffing that Jesus uh, was real. They scoffed that he would really return to judge the world, that he really would come back to establish his kingdom, that there's really nothing to do with that church stuff. That's all fake. It's a bunch of hypocrites. You know, uh, Peter wanted to make sure, just like today, that his church understood a truth. And he said, I want to refresh your memory. I want to bring you back to some wholesome thinking. And I want to remind you that there are some prophetic words that says Jesus is coming back. And he says, these are the last days. What are the last days? The last days prophetically means this. It means from the time that Jesus left to the time that Jesus comes, everything in between is the last days. That's the definition of the last days. Do you know that? You and I lived in the last days and our great, 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 great grandparents lived in the last days. Uh, the last days are the last days of human history for salvation has been poured out to the earth. This is the day of the church. And the church is the days of the last days. And in that day, they just like they scoffed at Noah in the flood, just like they scoffed at Sodom, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, scoffed at the fire that was going to come from heaven, people in the last days are going to scoff about hell. They're going to scoff about God's final judgment. Amen. And the same thing, he's saying, I've got to remind you in the days that you live in to stir up something. I looked up this word stir. Uh, in, a, in the Bible dictionary, and it says this stir means this. And if you got a pen, this is pretty cool to write down. It means this stir to cause a movement or change in position. So to cause of movement, it means to disturb the quiet. We have a lot of quiet churches in this world today. God is wanting to stir it up. And so he's saying it's a to disturb the quiet. It means sometimes to agitate. It means to bring something into notice it means to rouse the activity, to call forth, even to evoke, evoke a praise. Uh, it's to take us from one place and take us to another to say, hey, let's shake it up a little bit. Wake up. Jesus is coming. And that's what he's saying. I'm ready to stir up. I mean, you, you look at the Bible from Enoch to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Daniel, to Joel, to Amos, to Zechariah, to Jesus and his apostles. They all talked about God is coming back. He's going to come back and set everything right. I mean, it's been talked about from Genesis to Revelation. You can't hardly find a book in the Bible that doesn't talk about God is going to come back and set things right. And so there's, that's, that is a key doctrine of the Bible. And so many churches, we are, so many believers, we're not living in that, that stirring. But God desires to shake, to stir up a sleepy church. And he is desiring to bring to remembrance his holy word to provoke us uh, and to get involved in his mission. So this is this last day story. Now, so that's 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 Peter. And that's what he's saying. Remember to stir something up. Now, look with me in Haggai, chapter one, verse 13. Haggai, chapter one, 13. What are we stirred up for? What are we getting stirred up for? And how does this whole thing work? This stirring Because Peter says, I want you, you to remember to stir yourself up. OK. He's saying, look back at the word. Remember the prophets. Stir yourself up. 
All right, let's look here at another one. Haggai 1.13. Sometimes we need to stir up the church and remind ourselves of the Word of God. Uh, and this is, let me give you a little background. Haggai chapter 1, for those of you who haven't read Haggai in, in, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, I know how you are. <laughs> Uh, the emperor of Persia, King Sirius, Cyrus, had conquered Babylon. And Babylon had had control over the exiles of Israel. So Israel had been sent to exile. And Babylon had had, had them in exile. They, they went to another country, right? And a new country, a new empire rules the world, takes over Babylon. And king, uh, the king of Persia tells them, you can go back. It's like 586 years or 500-something years before Jesus comes, right? 538. He allows them to go back to Judea and Israel. And God had called them to rebuild the temple that was destroyed in Jerusalem. And so they began to build. But, man, drought came and struggles came against the opposing Samaritans, the people that were now living in Jerusalem. Uh, and there's just all these things. So they stopped building the temple of God. Because too hard, too much work, too many things. What happened is they begin to work on their own houses. They begin to build up their city streets. They begin to build their roads and their infrastructures. Begin to build their government buildings. And people begin to have nice paneled houses. They begin to have uh, uh, nice ceilings and chandeliers. And God was a little bit angry that over down on Main Street, His temple hadn't been built yet. But everybody else had nice houses and windows and manicured lawns. And they were going on vacation. They were going to the Super Bowl <clears throat> and, you know, all kinds of things. Now I'm joking. I'm not picking on people who aren't here tonight. Uh, Lord, pray for them. That's all I can say. Not really. Anyhow, I'm getting off on this. All right. But 18 years have now passed. God's house is in disarray and everybody else's house looks awesome. And God moves on the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. And this is where Haggai writes, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you. Isn't that a good statement? When you're going through a troubled time, you don't think like you can do anything for God, and it seems like everybody's against you, and you don't know how you're going to have the resources to do what you need to do. And God comes along, and He says, I am with you. Amen. Somebody's here tonight. One person. Got it. Haggai, I am with you, declares the Lord. And it says this, just that phrase, I am with you. What do you tell Moses? I am has sent you. I am that I am. What does he tell his name repeatedly? I am. He says, I am with you. And it said in that moment right there, verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the people, the remnant of all the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. When they realized that God was on their side in the last day, it would have been the last days of them in the whole world is in disarray. We don't have a we, we got a barely got a governor, barely got a high priest. There's no more. The Ark of the Covenant's gone. It means like the, the everything is in ruins and there's a bunch of pagan people living here. And we just got out of exile and we still don't have authority over our own lives. And what are we going to do? No Moses, no Joshua, none of these great things. But then God speaks through a young man and he says, I am with you. And the Spirit of God moved on every person from the governor to the high priest to all the people in their houses. And they left 
all the things that they were doing and, and working on their own plans and their own purposes and their own dreams and own agendas and working on their own houses. And they came together and said, God, we're going to put your kingdom first. That is a stirring of the Holy Spirit. Haggai preaches the word and it stirs the people to do God's will because God will later on tell them, he said, I'm, I'm desiring to shake the world. I'm desiring to establish my kingdom. And he says, you've been looking back for too long. I'm telling you, the best days are still yet ahead. I've got something I want to do that's new. And that's when one author wrote, he said, when God's left out, we miss out. I like that. When God's left out, of our plans, of our agendas, we miss out. And these people have been doing their own plans, their own things, and they were missing out. Sometimes we think things like, you know, the weather's too bad, or I'm too sick, you know, to go to church or to get involved in ministry, but I'm really not too sick or too busy to go hunt or to go shopping or to go do all the other things I really want to do. Amen? Right? And he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. If you just understand I'm with you, let the Holy Spirit stir up to put God's agenda first. You think about it, uh, when Jesus, He turned the tables over in the temple. He shook up the whole place and it caused a big commotion. He stirred the place up. And His disciples in John, it says that they remembered the, uh, the quote from Psalms that says that uh, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. That passionate, that con- Consuming zeal for the Lord's kingdom came over Jesus in that moment. He said, God's house has got to be first. This has got to be a place where the nations come to pray and worship God. You don't even know what the purpose of this building is anymore. God's kingdom purpose has got to be first. And Jesus was stirred up with the zeal of the Holy Spirit to say, God, be glorified in this place. God, be lifted up. And I want to ask today, is, are we known for our zeal? For the cause of God. Are we stirred up? Are we zealous to build God's house? To see His kingdom come? Are we are we a people who are saying, God, we want to build a place for the world to come and worship You? God, you know, without zeal, without that passion, without that stirring, really something's missing. Where's a bunch of people singing some songs? Where's a bunch of people listening to some guy that y'all pay every, you know, an annual salary to to, to tell you about things you already could read on your own? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but God is with us. Does that not stir something up Amen. when you realize that this day is coming, that God is with you? Even if you lose your job, brother, God is with you. Man, that should stir something up. And even if I get cancer, even if I go through bad times, even if it seems like nothing's working out in my life and everything's falling apart, Ed, God is with you. Amen. And that's. That's the passion of God. That if that don't stir you up, then I don't know what will. And then and I look back and let's go to another. Look at 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1. Timothy's this young guy. Man, Paul's about to die. The guy that mentored him. The guy that started all these churches. And Timothy, he's, Paul's in jail in Rome about to be uh, beheaded. He writes to this young guy in the faith. And uh, Timothy's about to know, he's about to inherit all of Paul's problems, <laughs> you know. He's got all these things going on, and Paul's always trying to put out fires, and Timothy's like, how in the world, God, I don't have all the things that Paul had. I wasn't a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, I just followed this guy around, and, you know, uh, I don't have the boldness that Paul does. I don't have the skills or the words or the creativity or the power. I'm not even out of a good reputation like he does. And so Paul sees that Timothy's losing this zeal, this fervor. He's forgotten that God is with him in these last days. 
And these difficult circumstances are coming upon Timothy. So Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. We read it this morning. He says, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you, there it is, remind you, to kindle afresh, New American Standard says, or stir up or fan into flame, your translation may say, the gift of God which is in you that are laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind or sound judgment or discipline. What is he saying? It's the same thing that Peter said. The same thing that Haggai said is that God remember to stir up the Holy Spirit within you, the gift of the Holy Spirit within you. I'm going to break this down so you can kind of get it a little bit better. Number one is the gift. He's saying the gift. Joel 2 prophesied that we would have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all types of people, men and women and children, slaves and free. The gifts would be in operation in the last days in his latter-day church. Uh, so we got the gift of the Holy Spirit. When man, we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in us. He lives within us. We, we have the evidence of the Holy Spirit. New life, born-again experience. That doesn't happen unless the Holy Spirit's in you. But we also have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we would all should hopefully grow into. Uh, and, and with that growing into the Holy Spirit uh, involves the manifestation of gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us there's a gift given to each person in the church for a common good. There are gifts about administration and leadership. There are gifts of help. There are gifts of service. There's also gifts of tongues and interpretation and prophecy and faith and healings and miracles, uh, discernment, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Uh, But there's all kinds of gifts, all kinds of gifts. There are gifts that uh, help you in uh, perhaps your your vocation. There's being a pastor is a gift, a teacher is a gift, uh, an evangelist is a gift. There's all kinds. The Bible didn't even list all the gifts, but we know that every person may have the gift of generosity, may have the gift of helps. Somebody's, every person in this room has got a gift in some way. It could be the gift of encouragement, like Barnabas. You're just an encourager, a prayer warrior, perhaps. Uh, everyone's got a gift. But what are you to do with it? He, says, he tells Timothy, he says, you've got a gift in you that God put in you for a holy purpose. And God put that gift in you, and it's like a little bitty flame that God put in there. He lit the match. And you, you put the kindling there, you got it all ready, and you said, all right, God... Light it. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm a born again. Let's do this. So God lit the flame. All right. The spark is lit. The Holy Spirit fires just a little flame in you and and you're saved. And now what? Now, he says fan into flame. He doesn't say God's going to do it. He says, Timothy, you do it. You fan into flame the spark, the gift that God's already put in you. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. This is the gift. It's actually the charisma Literally, in the Greek, it says the charisma of God, the gift of God that is uniquely given for you to do the task that God has called you to do. Fan in the flame, the unique thing that God has uniquely put in you for a unique calling. Fan that thing. And, and you think about uh, embers on a fire. And I mentioned this this morning. Uh, if you take some steel wool and you put it up to next, some, next to some kindling, some dry little wood, and you get that little red burning uh, steel wool going, and you begin to blow on that steel wool, or, or that dryer lint works good too. You begin to blow on that dryer lint or that steel wool, and that sparks begin to go, and you begin to blow real lightly. It's kind of a technique, really. Uh, it begins to move. The same thing too. Uh, a lot of times the cowboys back in the, uh, the days, they take their hat off, they begin to fan their hat. Uh, at that fire. You could actually take one fire here and blow that fire over to another larger fire. And what happens is uh, my hand begins to, to blow or I begin to do this. 
I'm the one doing the movement. And the wind is the thing that begins to blow. I'm not the wind, right? That's my hands moving. But I don't create the wind. The wind was already there. It just begins to move. It obeys my hand in a, in a sense. There's a partnership there, if you really think about it, uh, that there's, there's wind everywhere. That's just, it's, it's air, right? But when I begin to move my hand, the wind begins to move with me and it begins to blow. And he's saying it the same way. You're needing to partner with the Holy Spirit. You begin to move. You begin to stir. You begin to remind yourself about what God has said to you. I've got a unique calling with you. I am with you. Begin to be ready to be moving Stir up yourself, get moving, shake off the dust and let the Holy Spirit begin to blow on your life because God is with you. God is with you. William Booth said it this way. He said the tendency of the fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. I like that. Sometimes it's easy for that fire to go out. You know, if you ever have a campfire, you got you got a a fireplace in your house that's not gas you got to put another log on it sometime. That's what you got those pokers for. Sometimes you got to stir that fire up to begin to let it to be blowing again. So he says, here's the gift. Now fan it. And he says, the Spirit's going to do the work. And he says, the Spirit that's going to begin to move in your life is not a spirit of fear or cowardice, but it is a dunamis, dynamic power, a dynamite power. of a, And it's, a, pow, it's a, a, a spirit of power. It's a spirit of agape love. And it's a spirit of self-control, all three things which are products and fruits of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you begin to allow God to move in your life and you begin to move with God and partner with God, the spirit begins to come. Power shows up. Agape, Christ-like love shows up. And discipline, self-control begins to move in your life when you begin to say, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. God, I'm crucifying the flesh. God, I'm out of the way. I remember you're with me. God, you put the spark in me. God, I'm willing to do the job you've called me to do no matter what happens. No matter, I know I can't do it on my own. That's the point, right? Timothy is thinking, I can't do it. That's right, Timothy, you can't. But God is with you. Now fan in the flame. And remember, God put that gift in you. God's the one that uniquely called you. God's the one that's going to equip you to do the job that He's called you to do. God resources His mission. How? I think God has a purpose and a unique gifting and calling for each one of you in here tonight. And the job of us is to find it and do it to the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit to go. One author said it this way. He said, those who have work to do for Christ must stir themselves up as soldiers to do it, strengthen themselves for it in his power. And they must count upon suffering even to death and therefore must carefully train up others in the faith to succeed them who will approve themselves also as good soldiers. We've got work to do, church. God's looking to remind us to stir up something, to build His church like in Haggai, to remind ourselves of the Word in Peter that Jesus is coming soon. And like Timothy, to know even if you don't feel like you can do it, even if you don't feel like you got all the giftings, you remember that God put it in you and you just begin to partner with the Holy Spirit. God is with you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Worship team, would you come back? I don't know where you are in your relationship with God tonight. I don't know what giftings you know you have or things you've been praying about, but I believe God tonight had a word for whoever. I don't know. Maybe all, hopefully it's all of you, maybe just a few of you, that God is with you. Now remind yourself, stir that up. You have to partner with the Holy Spirit. 
You've got to be willing to move and to be moved. And the Holy Spirit's going to come into your life and begin to blow. And He's going to fill you up. Take that fear away. He's going to begin to fill you with power and love. He's going to begin to pour out uh, things in your life to give you self-control, to make you more victorious over sin. And, and we just want to say, God, have, have your way in us. I look back and I think about the prophets of old. They had just the Word of God and they had the Holy Spirit, and yet they predicted all that Christ would do. Think about it. Men just like you and me, women like you and me, right? People like us, who years in advance, the Holy Spirit said, do this, God's coming. And they wrote these books, they did all these great stories. You and I are also in the testimony of faith. When heaven looks back at the story of earth, you and I will be in it. We're a part of this. We're a part of the Holy Scriptures. It's being written still. Revelation's not over yet, right? Our job is to just look back like them and say, God, remind ourselves of the Word of God. You're coming back soon. Lord, we're here to build Your church. Father, we know that You are with us and we need the Spirit of the Holy God, uh, Lord, just to come in this place. God, stir us up. Fan into flame, Lord, the fire that You've already put in us and kindled in us. Lord, may the Holy Spirit begin to burn Lord, in our church in these last days to do everything you've gifted us and equipped us to do, God. We just pray, Lord, we just begin to worship you, Lord, just to seek your face, God.